Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Welcome to Upfront, a brand new weekly women's football show here on Football Ramble Presents. I'm Flo Lloyd-Hughes. I'm Chloe Morgan. And I'm Rachel O'Sullivan. Mika Martins will pick up this loose ball. A little bit of a nudge in the back. Mika Martins! Ball for Barcelona! Now the shot by Lucy Bronze means it's unstoppable and so are England. We'll be here every Tuesday on the Football Ramble Presents feed with the biggest stories from around the women's game. We'll dive into the WSL every week, bring you news from women's football around the globe and talk to those at the cultural heartbeat of the game. On today's show, Spurs take Arsenal all the way in the North London derby, but Viv Miedemar comes up with the goods. Meanwhile, it gets worse for Gareth Taylor and Man City as Chelsea hand out a battering and we look at Women's Football Weekend as a whole and wonder whether it's still up to scratch. Full disclaimer, I'm not in the studio today. You could probably maybe tell that I am at home and the rest of the gang are in the studio. So things may sound a little bit different, but the vibes, the banter, the chat, the content will still be absolutely the same. And that is the magic of remote working. So anyway, now we've got that out of the way, let's get stuck into the North London Derby. Rachel, were you there? I was there. Vibes? Let's let's go through the vibes first because there's a record crowd at the Hive. So vibe check, tick. Yes. Um, yeah, the crowd built really well, actually, and they um, were really loud. I really enjoyed it. I mean, we've been crying out for a proper North London derby clash and it absolutely delivered. Um, Arsenal really, I think, should have won that game. They had plenty of opportunities, but, you know, Spurs have set up really defensively well this season. They're really hard to break down. Um, and I just thought the likes of Ashley Neville and Corpola had an unreal game. Um, so yeah, it was really, really exciting and it's exactly what we want for Women's Football Weekend. I mean, I think it was fantastic. I mean, just off the back of that, I mean, Corpella, you know, as a goalkeeper, she pulled out some absolutely worldly saves. She was so quick out to smother the danger, make sure it didn't go any further. And she was critical in then picking up that point. And, you know, like you said, Ashley Neville again, put in an absolute shift. And I think she was so unlucky not to even score that game. And I know that'll be haunting her um, in the next couple of days. But no, I thought Spurs put in an absolute shift and, and credit to them because that's the first time they've ever picked up a point against Arsenal. And, and that is a big, big point. Yeah, I think it was really good to see Ash Neville put in such a good performance because I think she struggled a little bit, I think, with the adjustment to life in the WSL. I don't think we've quite seen how good she might be able to be as a player, but she's having a really good season so far. And Spurs in general, uh, with a whole preseason under Rianne Skinner, 
look like a really, really good side. They're hard to beat, which is kind of crucial really in this league. They they don't offer still a lot going forward. Um, you know, they're kind of picking up scraps. You've seen a lot of their goals this season have been a little bit chaotic. That one at Man City, the one on Saturday was definitely of that sort of, um, you know, style. But they're certainly hard to beat. They're very organised. Maeva Clemeron in the centre of midfield is one of my favourite players this season. She's just just such a, a terrier and a warrior. Um, I don't know what you guys have thought of Spurs this season. Rachel, what do you think's kind of taken them to another level? I think it's a similar approach to what we're seeing at Brighton in that they've set up really well defensively. Um, they have a really standout game each week. They've really impressed me. I know you touched on Ashley Neville. She's stood out for me a lot. Um, she really marshaled the likes of Steph Catley and Katie McCabe down in the wing. And that was something Arsenal were trying to exploit. For me, I feel like they should have maybe said, OK, this isn't working. Let's do something else. Um, because Ash Neville definitely had them mastered, I think. Um, but yeah, I think it's that difficult to beat mentality. I think for a lot of clubs going in against Spurs, they know they're hard to break down. Um, it feels a bit like they're one world-class striker away from, you know, really top-the-table stuff. But they're already kind of up there pushing for Champions League spots. So. I think, yeah, it's it's all going well for them. Yeah, and I think that's the transition, I think, from coming from Championship, you know, a couple of years ago. You really start to see, this is obviously the first full season under Rianne Skinner. They've brought in some massive international um, experience. Um, you know, that they've got in some sort of fantastic um, talent there. And I think now what you're starting to see is they've built their kind of foundations. They've gone from, you know, we just need to stay up. We just need to make sure that we secure the WSL um, position and then sort of, sort of hanging around the mid-table. And now they're looking to press on. And I think what the kind of progress you start to see is that, okay, before you're very much a defensive side, you just don't want to concede as many goals. And then you start to hit a bit of an even. And then I think the next step, like you were saying, is to bring in that firepower up front. And then you start to actually see more goals happening. So, you know, it's it's, it's, it's a transition. And there's sort of two, three years in the process. And I think it's fantastic to see them now, you know, sitting around third and fourth position after, after three years, because that is, that's big. Yeah, and I think they definitely have, I think, rode their luck a little bit in games so far this season. But I think for the squad, that's quite important as well because they know that they're defensively solid. And, you know, the more they push during a game, they know they might just get that rub of the green again. And on the flip side, for a team coming up against them, they also know that they're defensively solid and also know that, you know, they might also get the rub of the green. The longer the game goes on, the more chance I feel that there is that Spurs are going to score. Um, so I think, yeah, everything kind of feels like it's falling into place a little bit for them. Yeah, there's certainly a belief there that, that probably wasn't there before from some of those results where they have kind of ridden their luck a bit, got the rub of the green, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, that City handball. But I think when you look at the table, what concerns me about Spurs and why why they're, I think, obviously going to fall away from that top four is that sheer lack of goals. You don't look at their team and they, they don't have... A, go- a consistent goal scorer at the moment. I mean, Rachel Williams is having a really good season, having not scored in what, like two seasons of the WSL. She's having a really good year. But they've only scored nine goals. That's less than Man United in fifth, less than Aston Burn and West Ham behind them, less to less than Reading in eighth, less than City in ninth. So the goals, the goals is what they're really lacking. And I think that's what Rianne Skinner really needs to build on going forward. Like who who is the right striker for them? Because that's, I think that's the hardest thing when you're looking at the WSL and you're like, well, who who are you going to recruit? Because where do you see yourself? Like, obviously, Man United recruit in a way that they're looking up. They're looking to push for the Champions League. Whereas Spurs would be probably not thinking in the same sort of, in the same sort of way, but they need to find a goal scorer, right? 
Alex Morgan? No, I'm joking. Um, <laughs> Great <laughs> penalties. Mean, she scored some penalties. That was a statement. Um, I think, yeah, that'll be really interesting to see next season what they do in the next uh, transfer window because I think that will be a statement of intent. Um, I think the club, the team are giving, you know, the board what they want in that they're playing well, they're playing sound, they're, you know, pushing up that table. And I think in return, I'm hoping that they're given a decent budget to pull in someone really, really good. And I think that's the thing with women's football, isn't it? You've kind of got to prove yourself before you can then say, okay, we need more money. We need, we're going in the right direction here. We need a bigger budget. We need to be able to sort of, you know, get in these world-class strikers. And strikers are, you know, they're far and few between the good ones that are going to fit into your team into the right way. So, you know, I think the best intention of Spurs, I suppose, this year is, is going to be, okay, let's let's try and creep up the table. Let's try and keep our third or fourth um, position. And then we can justify to the board, yeah, let's get this budget through and get someone amazing in for next season. Going back to the vibes as well, um, I think what was really great, you know, Rachel, you touched on the North London derby kind of finally feeling like a derby. The players really, really sort of brought that as well. Katie McCabe was fiery on Saturday, very fiery, nearly got in, I think, two fights across the 90 minutes. Um, and I think we saw a bit of edginess, a bit of spice that we'd been really crying out for in a game like this. And I think it was a, a good way to start Women's Football Weekend because we were all... You know, I have to say a little bit apprehensive, weren't we, about what this weekend was going to be like. But that was a brilliant way to say that, you know, just because Arsenal have won all the last derbies doesn't mean this isn't a derby. Yeah, and I think, you know, you touched on Katie McCabe there. She was, Jesus, she was raging most of the game. Um, <laughs> but Leah Williamson was so grumpy right at the end as well. And you know her, she's Arsenal through and through. She hates Spurs. Like, so this would have been really, you know, pissing her off that they were <laughs> losing to Spurs. Um, even like there's a great clip of when the goal goes in, uh, you see the cross come in and, and it goes over her head. And she is such a, such a strop that the ball hasn't come to her head. And even though Viv then goes and scores, she just kind of like stomps off, you know, because it's still only a draw against Spurs and that is absolutely not what you want. So it's great to have those kind of players in the ranks that like this derby really, really riles them up. Um, and now that we have like the quality on the pitch that it's not, it's not easy to call, it's just going to make it extra spicy. Chloe, who's the, who's the kind of spiciest, most aggy player you've ever played with? The or against, actually. Aggiest player? Jeez. Um, I mean, uh, Josie Green sometimes can be a bit fiery, a bit spicy. Um, okay. Obviously, I've never had to go against her because I've always been on her side, which has been an absolute blessing. Um, but yeah, absolutely a bit of spice there. I'm trying to think of who the worst person would be. I mean, we see a couple of them in the championship. I can't really name names at this point. Um, God, we nearly got into a... Uh, mm. No, I'll come back to you on that. That was something there. Okay, yeah. maybe maybe that's Football Ramble Presents after dark sesh yeah, when we get into the, uh, that stuff. Over the maybe stuff, a glass of yeah. whiskey and some ice. We'll get whiskey. into that. Okay. Uh, I don't even like whiskey, but I feel like that's what one would do in this situation. And maybe Swap stories. And Nando's. Just because we keep talking about spice and Ooh, it just yeah. feels like we can't go another episode without mentioning Nando's. Is this yes. your plug again to get them to sponsor us, Rachel? Because it's I mean, going Nando's, well so far. Yeah. We haven't had any emails or contact, but we're going to keep doing it. We're going to keep pushing it and plugging it. Uh, and maybe they'll return our calls. Um, but in general, it's a positive season, I think, to see this gap close a little bit, to see the likes of Spurs give Arsenal, City, Chelsea a run for their money, right? 
Yes, I think so. I mean, not if you're an Arsenal fan, but um, that's what you want in the game because we do talk a lot about those top three teams and, you know, they go around battering everyone or having high score lines. And the less we see of that, the better, the more competitive the league is, the more we can lean on our best league in the world uh, tagline and annoy everybody else. Um, so, yeah, I think it is good. Um, I, I 100% agree. I think, you know, Spurs is a name that deserves to be in the WSL. I think, you know, they've proven themselves. Um, they're a big name. We've got the Premier League um, attachment. And um, I'm going to start that again. Sorry about that. Um, yeah, they've basically proved themselves. They've been absolutely incredible this season. And I think that, you know, given the name they have, the kind of ethos around the club, um, you know, the direction of where they're going. Um, yeah, it's, it's fantastic. I, I, exactly the same as Rachel said, to kind of see that competitiveness start to creep in because it was getting a little bit stale. Kind of you, you knew what was going to happen if Arsenal were playing Tottenham before or if Arsenal were playing Birmingham or if Arsenal were playing any other team. You just you, you expected what the result would be. So now I think we're starting to see that talent creep in from the midsection of the WSL table and, and that is just proving for you know a lot better viewing. News this week about Leah Williamson picking up a what did they? What was the word they used? Significant hamstring injury, which implies she might require surgery. Re- implies it's probably quite a bad hamstring injury, which is bad news for Arsenal, bad news for England. And I think why it's probably even more heartbreaking for Leah Williamson and the fans is that she'll probably miss FA Cup final and the Barcelona game in the Emirates. And if you're an Arsenal fan, if you're Arsenal through and through like she is, that's absolutely gutting, isn't it, Chloe? Oh, God, yeah. I mean, with any injury, I think it's the psychological aspect of it and not just obviously the physical pain that you're in. But, you know, with big games like that, she's obviously a massive uh, name um, in, in around England. I mean, she's sort of a world-class player, isn't she? And, um, yeah, that's going to be massive for her. I think that's that's so disappointing and she's going to be upset with that because she's been on such a trajectory um, this season, you know, taking the captaincy this year as well with, with England and um, she's sort of heading in the right direction and, and then you sort of suffer a bit of an injury and you suffer that blow and you could be out for many months and doing rehab and sometimes that often means obviously being away from the players and the squad as much as you would like to be. So, um, yeah, but I suppose it's, it's, it's the nature of the game and you've just got to be careful and you, you've got to take those precautions if it's serious and, and you've just got to be patient. Um, but yeah, and no, I wish her the best of luck. Rachel, do you think Lotte Wobbenmoy is a, is a good enough replacement for, for what Leah does in, in that back line? I think she'll relish the challenge. Um, and I think Leah Williamson seems the type to be, you know, there supporting anyone who's stepping in for her. So yeah, like I'm, I'm gutted for Leah, but also I am slightly concerned for the likes of Arsenal and uh, England because she has been so important I mean she's always been important but I feel like this season she's just stepped it up another level um, and when we talk about the likes of Barcelona we spoke about Arsenal trying to trying to play through them which wasn't um, the best way and we talked about Leah Williamson being you know the absolute perfect passer of the ball finding the likes of Viv Miedema and Beth Mead so for me that's a big loss ahead of the, the Barcelona game having someone like that in defence um, but I can only hope that she it isn't too significant that you know it goes on into the summer because it's bad enough missing those two games to not have her in a home Euros would just be you know not fair it wouldn't be fair to not have someone like Leah Williamson at an England Euros and also there aren't that many people from Milton Keynes the fact that one of the semi-finals is in Milton Keynes means that Leah Williamson has to legally be in that semi-final of the tournament
Man City lost again. Uh, they lost 4-0 again to Chelsea. That's twice in the space of three weeks. Um, it was a bit of a weird game, though, I have to say, um, because Chelsea were not at their best. City, at times, played well, but are still a disorganised mess when it comes to defending anything. And Chelsea essentially just pounced on any mistake or any loose ball that came up or any kind of lacklustre defending, of which there was ample, really, to choose from. Um, Chloe, I don't know what you thought of this one. It was, yeah, it was a strange game to me. I mean, I don't think you could have uh, summarised it any better, to be honest. I think that, that, I think given Man City's run of form, I wasn't too sure what to expect. And I think, you know, obviously given Chelsea's run of form, I kind of expected that they would probably be um, the ones to be taking home the points. And obviously they did and in sort of quite easily, really. Um, but I agree, it was quite a sort of evenly matched game in terms of the possession. And obviously City had a few chances themselves. But I think what it really came down to was those mistakes and the mistakes, again, that were coming from the back line and also from Taib as well. And I think, you know, when you've got a goalkeeper who looks very shaky, is obviously suffering in terms of her confidence. You know, she was responsible for the goals or some of the goals that went in when they previously played Chelsea. And I think that was probably one of Chelsea's tactics is to say, Do you know what, Taib's looking a little bit shaky. She's making mistakes under pressure. Let's go and press her and see what what happens and lo and behold at least two of those goals are really caused by you know errors that could have been avoided and you know you can't be giving away um opportunities and gifts for Chelsea because they are a team who are going to capitalize on on those and and they did even though Chelsea weren't at their flying form absolute flying best you know they still get a job done and they're very efficient in front of goal and they very rarely sort of miss you know very easy chances and you know credit to Chelsea it's um even when you're not sort of playing at your absolute best to to go and put home four goals against a team like Man City who on a good day might have given them a bit more of a battle is is um is well credit to them I personally expected more from City um I think after seeing them play against Leicester last week after they got that kind of first and second goal you could really see the difference that confidence made in that team. Like their passes were connecting. There was much more fluidity um, between players. And I kind of hoped that they would carry that into the game. Um, I really feel for Taib. I'm so, like, I just feel really sorry for her. She, she's in that goal with a black eye. Um, you know, God knows how many not great games under her belt. Yeah, confidence. Confidence is absolutely rock bottom, right? Across that whole back line from yeah. her on upwards, right? Yeah, and I just, you know, it frustrates me. I don't know the ins and outs or what's going on, you know, in training, but you've got two defenders on the bench. You've got two players whose, like, natural position is defence on the bench. And it frustrates me that we keep talking about the defensive backline being shaky because... A, you could got solve players. the problem. Well, yes, and also, like... We keep saying it's a mismatch of players, but at this rate now, they've been playing together in those positions for a number of weeks. Yeah, it's true. Um, why is it not clicking? They're all internationals. You know, when you look at possession, Man City had more possession. Man City had the same number of shots on target as Chelsea. Can we still use injuries as an excuse for this? Or is it, as Gareth, was it Gareth Taylor said, it was a freakish result? Yeah, we got, we got to talk about the post-match stuff because I uh, what what f- surprises me about Gareth Taylor is there is always a time in which you as a manager, I think, you know, I'm not a football manager, uh, shock, but I do think there's a time where you do have to take on some of the responsibility and have to say, you know, I got that wrong. Maybe I should have played the defenders that were on the bench. 
you know, maybe I should even give 16-year-old Grace Pilling a shot and goal because Tybe's confidence is absolutely wrecked and she keeps making mistakes. Like, I feel like there are some solutions or options for him. He's not taking them. He's doing the same thing over and over again. It keeps not working. City have suffered too many heavy defeats. And yet he basically just dismisses them as like sort of strange, natural um, disasters that are happening in the world and that nothing, it's not anything that you could prepare for. And that's what I just find baffling about those post-match comments saying that the, the defeats to Chelsea and Arsenal and the defeat to Chelsea at the weekend as well were freakish results. That just seems like a man who doesn't know how to solve the problem, right? Yeah, it's not freakish when it's a pattern. Like, there is a pattern emerging, it feels. Um, I understand the desire for a manager to protect their players, so somebody has to take accountability. Like, you can't stand there and protect players and say, I didn't get it wrong. Like, it's yeah, just exactly. mistakes. It's it's one or the other. And I get protecting the players because they are trying to do what he's telling them to do. They are being put in positions that aren't their natural positions. So as a manager, it feels like you should be taking that accountability. Um, so it is, like, as well, he's also said that, like, if someone asked if, if the title is out of reach now. And he said no. And I know, like, obviously, it's just baffling. You're not going to stand there and be like, oh, no, like, we're shit this season. We're probably going to lose the next game. Like, obviously, you're not going to do that. But surely you can be a bit more realistic and say, we still believe we can get into top three. We're still pushing for that Champions League spot without sounding borderline. I don't want to use the word delusional, but um, if like, hey, look, they might turn around and prove us wrong. And that would be the most amazing comeback of the season. And I would be very happy to be sitting here in a few weeks, you know, a few months time being like, bow down, Gareth Taylor, you got it right. But (laughs) for me, yeah, I just I can't see how that's going to happen. But he doesn't seem very panicked. That's the thing. He doesn't seem very panicked at all by this bad of uh, this run of bad form. And, you know, from, uh, from what I've seen, I would start to be, you know, alarm bells would start to be going in my head if I was manager at this point. Because as much as you might be saying, yes, OK, we're not out of the WSL title race, um, there's a lot of critics who would be saying that you are, and, and rightly so. I mean, even when you look at not only just their placement in the league, but if you look at their, their the goals conceded this year, they're right down there with the likes of Birmingham City and Leicester. And I think for a team like Man City that that is a shock because if you know you've come off the back of a season where you've, you've come second you know you've you've won a you won an FA Cup and and now all of a sudden you're in ninth place I'm thinking okay well where where are the issues here we need to start to rectify them or he's got some master plan up his sleeve and he's just seeing through this season and, and actually by the end of it we'll be saying okay well do you know what I'm gonna read my hat here but I mean I'm what do you doubtful. think Chloe what do you think it will take for City to choose another option going forward because it seems like he's kind of bulletproof at this point knocked out the last season's FA Cup heavy defeats against your title rivals lowest ever place they've ever been in the league things are going from bad to worse at this rate like where where is the worst point that he could get to I mean, it's difficult to see where the next point would be at this stage. Um, but, you know, he's, he's an experienced manager. He's obviously been with City now, I think, since May 2020. You know, in this point, he's obviously finished. He's, he's managed to get the team into the second place of the WSL last season. The FA Cup winners in November 2020. So he was doing something right. But now, obviously, things are falling flat and he's lost momentum. So... And I do, I've always been a kind of big fan of not saying, okay, well, things are going badly. And, you know, we are only, you know, seven weeks into the the WSL season. Um, You know, I don't think there's a case of, okay, let's massively start to panic here. Let's get him out. Let's get someone else in. Because that's also, you have to think about the impact of bringing in someone else at this stage, because that could also be an unsettling influence for the players. Mm. So, 
you don't want things to go from bad to worse because you, you, you've brought in an interim manager who ends up doing an even worse job. So sometimes there is a, a, an argument there to say, OK, let's ride out the storm. Let's try and find form. Let's try and find something different. But I think that's the issue that we're having now is that he's not finding anything different. The same formula isn't working. Rachel, do you think last season the success that City had, was that about or you know was was Gareth Taylor partly responsible for that or do you think it was the individual talent that they had that brought some of that well just listening to you say that Chloe made me think of um our good friend Jean-Luc Vasseur um <laughs> and how he obviously won things at Lyon but he'd come into a very successful team it carried on for a season and then it went downhill yeah. and there could be an element of that here um I like I agree with you in parts about kind of not panicking and not immediately sacking someone when things aren't going well. But for me, the biggest frustration is how you present yourself when stuff like that is happening. And he keeps saying, like, I've not used the the injuries as an excuse. I've not talked about the injuries. But at the same time, do talk about them. Talk about the problems you're having. Say we're having a tough time. Say we're having a tough season. It's not going the way we wanted. But, you know, we're still trying to be positive. We still want to push for this. Rather than this kind of, I mean, we saw a similar thing with Phil Neville where he would just refuse to acknowledge that things weren't going well. And that's what frustrates the media. That's what frustrates fans. That's where you get your stories about people saying, what the hell is going on? Whereas if you kind of sat there and said, yeah, we're having a shit time at the moment, but you know what? Like, we're going to keep pushing. The players are still going to keep fighting and kind of, you know, have control of that narrative a little bit. Yeah, totally. We would be remiss as well not to mention the fact that Christy Mewis made an appearance on Sunday there to watch her good friend, uh, Sam Kerr. And it's actually been enjoyable watching Chrissy Mewis's kind of holiday in London. Um, I did also accidentally reply to her Instagram story instead of sending it to a friend. No. So um, that, let that be a lesson to you all, kids, that make sure when you are sharing someone's Instagram story, you are not replying to them about how we should all go to Carnaby Street to go meet Christy Mewis and have a coffee. So there you go. I don't know if she saw the message. I That's tried why to you're not in the studio it. today. We, we, we wouldn't let her in after doing something like that. It was just too embarrassing to have her in studio with us. Well established in that club now. Chelsea having won the league four times. And it's another goal for Chelsea. And this is becoming embarrassing for Manchester City. It's the captain, Magdalena Eriksson. 
thought it was pretty ambitious based off the back of the last few months and how crowds haven't been great. Um, I mean, firstly, I just wanted to get your guys' general thoughts on a Women's Football Weekend before we sort of crack into the numbers and the, the sort of feeling of, of attendances going forward. Well, I think the uh, the matches themselves were phenomenal. There were some great derbies happening. It was very competitive, you know. Um, but in terms of the actual Women's Football Weekend and the sort of the the media, the hype around it, um, the sort of external bits, I suppose, of Women's Football Weekend, I, I wasn't that um, wasn't that impressed. Um, yeah, I just felt it was a little bit flat. Um, I didn't think it had the same kind of pizzazz. Um, as previous women's football weekends, but I appreciate, you know, a lot of those games where it was the first time that the women's football weekend was happening. You know, that was what two years previously and, you know, the game was and the, the state of the game and women's football and the attention that it was getting was in a slightly different position at that point. So uh, a part of me feels like, OK, well, is it just a case of the fact that we don't actually need the women's football weekend? Is it now that actually every weekend is kind of women's football weekend? So this wasn't a particularly like, yeah, we need to go full force on this because actually we're starting to see that increase happening. Um, but yeah, I was a little bit um you know and even as someone who was sort of participating in women's football weekend I, I didn't feel like it was a, a particularly different weekend from any other I was disappointed not to be Debbie Downer um I know there were record crowds in various stadiums uh, but we do have to caveat that those record crowds were for that stadium um which is for me a little bit frustrating because like that Spurs Arsenal derby deserved to be played in the Tottenham Hotspur stadium um and should have been and it just the marketing and push around it didn't feel the same as 2019. And maybe, you know, we have the excuse of COVID to fall back on to kind of blame blame why the numbers weren't as good as 2019. I think back then, 74,000 people attended like WSL games on, on Women's Football Weekend, which is insane. Um, and obviously really, really high target. I think from what I calculated so far... For WSL, it was around 12,000, maybe a little bit more. Um, so for me, it felt like it deserved a push. If we're going to do Women's Football Weekend, do it right. You know, there was international breaks, so stadiums were free. Um, and we should be pulling people back into the into the stadiums. Um, and as you said, the, the games were great. And it, it deserved more people seeing those games for me. You know I'm like queen of pessimism. Um, but is there something positive to say about the fact that by not putting the games in the in the main club, big stadiums and getting those attendance figures really high, you are building more of a habit out of fans because they're going to the hive, they're getting the hive experience and that will long-term maybe make them want to come back to the hive more rather than having these like one-off special events, which we have a bit too much of in women's football and then people don't come back through the doors. Potentially, um, but if we're looking at aiming for 6,000 average attendances and I disagree I actually think that's not ambitious enough Um, I think you know if you're going to be bringing people to a, a ground whether you're, you're blocking off half the stands or not ho- opening half the stands it kind of it's a bit of a mismatch to your ambitions versus what you're kind of showing week in week out also there's a number of grounds now that d- can't take 6,000 people yeah I mean so, that's a big one as well like clubs yeah. would have to move <laughs> yeah um, which is uh, a big ask. So, yeah, I guess there is an argument for both ways. But as I say, if you're going to have this whole celebratory weekend, then you've got to go big or go home, in my opinion. Yeah, I agree. And I think maybe even just sort of looking at the silver lining to 
um, you know, the cloud of, of this weekend, perhaps, is that, you know, with the smaller stadiums, at least you, you're getting these big fans, uh, the big fan bases coming in. Um, you know, it creates a bit more of an atmosphere, maybe. Um, you know, you're kind of getting the smaller stadiums that are not selling out, but at least sort of filling, you know, getting bums on seats. And, you know, for the players and having that experience of, you know, having crowds on either side of you, not just one big wall of a crowd and then the rest of the stadium completely bare for the bigger stadiums. I think, you know, that I can see the kind of merit in that argument. But, um, yeah, it's just, um, it's it's growing, but it's just not growing fast enough. And we, I mean, what we have to say as well, the viewing figures for, for the first season of this new broadcast deal have been really, really impressive. And I think there is, an, there is something to be said about the, it's the, for the first time women's football is kind of battling with the stay at home, go out sort of conundrum, which I don't think it's had to do before because with the FA player, it was like pretty basic single camera coverage, which did the job, but it was very basic. So you knew that still the best experience would be to go and watch the game in person. Whereas now, if you're a fan of one of the teams that's going to be on BBC or Sky across the weekend, you can't know that you're in for a very good viewing experience. And I, and it wouldn't surprise me if some people are now sort of having to make that decision when they wouldn't even consider it in the past. Yeah, and I, I think one of the issues is we kind of treat women's football fans as one big audience. Like there's actually layers within women's football fans that we should be targeting individually um, and I think there's a bit of an attitude at the moment where when we talk about coming to a women's game or attracting new audiences it's almost like I'm so sorry to bother you but in case like you're free this weekend there happens to be a game um, I know it's the women um, but if you come like you might actually have a nice time and bring your family instead of kind of saying listen this is really good quality football if you are not there you are missing out and we need to be less apologetic about attracting new fans into the game and and look at it in a you know it's not just kids and families coming to women's football they're one of the audiences but there are diehard women's football fans who will say amazing there's a match on Friday night there's a match on Saturday there's a match on Sunday afternoon and one on Sunday evening I can actually go to four matches this weekend okay there's not a lot of those kind of fans but it just kind of shows that there is quite there is complex fan bases within women's football and we shouldn't just be targeting them all the same way. Yeah, I agree. And I think off the back of that, just in terms of the sky viewing figures, which are obviously amazing and sort of massively heading in the right direction, obviously increasing the exposure of the women's game. You can sit there and just watch pretty much a lot of the, the WSL matches that are being played at the weekend. But, you know, there's going to be a bit of a time lag. I think obviously the WSL, the, the sky deal has only just come in. Um, you know, it's only just happened. You're going to start to see the, the viewing figures increase, but also that's going to then translate into more bums on seats in the future. You might not see it now, right this second, but I think that will start to pick up because the interest is going to grow and I think there's also going to be a bit of a lag in terms of you know I don't want to go back to the ban everyone mentions the 50-year ban but at the same time the development of the girls of, of girls being involved in football at grassroots level and, and upwards is starting to grow massively I, I can't remember what the figures were for the FA I think it was about, about 3.8 million girls now involved in football around the UK don't quote me on that figure um, but you'll start to see that those fans, when they come, when they get older and start to be able to make their way to, to games, I think that's when you'll start to also see that transition as well of, of homegrown fans. We're not just asking fans who are already fans of football or who already attended the men's games to come along. We actually just want women's football fans who are girls, who are boys, who, are, who have just seen the product being shown. And the product is obviously going to get better and better. And as soon as the quality gets better and better, I think you're going to start to again see, see more bumps in seats. Yeah, and I, I I really think that that long-term vision is really important because I think we're just, we obviously really want to see the difference and the change now. And I know, I know the FA are, 
are doing the work to work this out. They have, you know, they've moved the, the, the league's entire calendar to try and work this out. You know, they've done a lot of things. They've spent a lot of money this year on really trying to get to know their audience and really market to the right people. But what do you guys think would be a really important way to to pull more fans in? I mean, I did a piece last week chatting to a few fans and, and a lot of them were very much focused on atmosphere. You know, they want segregated home and away areas. They want a bit less of a focus towards this family appeal, which I know the FA has done this year. They, they're targeting 16 to 34-year-olds this season especially. Is it kickoff times? Is it better grounds and locations it's pretty much all the above but is there anything specifically that you guys are like I think this would make such a big difference well firstly one thing I do want to say like I don't want to sound like we're coming across as really negative because for me I think pressure is a privilege and the fact that we're all talking about it can be better it should be better we want it to be better is a good thing because it means we're all really invested in the game and we know it deserves more right but you're right about it being a a longer process the quality on the pitch is getting better quickly and we just need to grow that experience almost in the same kind of speed Um, my biggest bugbear at the moment is accessibility to tickets Uh, we did a bit of a deep dive this um, week on tickets for the upcoming matches for example and uh, only one club does not require you to create an account uh, on their website in order to buy tickets and a lot of the clubs you wouldn't even know have a women's team because you can't even see it on the front page of the website some of them don't have tickets being sold in the traditional ticket area it's like in a separate area so for me that's one of the obvious things is make buying tickets easy because otherwise if people aren't really invested in it they're going to be like I mean I don't want to set up a an account on Spurs website I'm an Arsenal fan I don't want to have an account on there it's like little things like that I also think it is worth targeting um the fans of your men's team because you've got if you've got even 10% of diehard say Arsenal fans to come to the women's game that's a massive increase um so that's one area I think is worth targeting I think we should learn from the men's clubs from top down they're seeing huge increase in average numbers at the the leagues. I read an article today about how it's like a golden era of attendances post-COVID for men's football. So they're doing something right there. And a lot of that has to do with ticket prices, atmosphere, um, all of that kind of stuff. So there's definitely lessons that can be learned from there and applied to the women's game, I think. I think for me, in terms of the um, sort of biggest issue, I think that's presented to the clubs, the women's clubs, is the the stadiums and the location. Um, I think when you kind of look at the the, the where the big teams are playing, you know, the Spurs at the Hive, um, Chelsea at Kings Meadow, you know, Arsenal at Boreham Wood, and you sort of look about the accessibility in terms of actually getting to these games, it's, it's very difficult. A lot of the games are either in the absolute arse end of the uh the the central line or the The universe or or the the universe (laughs) yeah um and then you've got sort of games that don't even have any kind of tfl support you're you're relying on national rail or the bus routes or actually just driving there and you know the parking's not great for for some of these fixtures either so um yeah i think the accessibility of actually getting to the games they're in locations that are quite remote and i think a lot of people are quite reluctant um to actually make the effort to to take four buses to go and go and see a game And, and i completely understand that um, and I think also just sort of jumping off the back of what you were saying about the atmosphere at the games, I think there's just so much more activation that can go on on game day. You know, it's not a lot of games that you really see. There's a mascot going on. There's not a lot of, you know, music that the vibe around the, the stadium's a little bit flat. Um, sometimes fans aren't even allowed in until sort of, you know, a few minutes before kickoff. So they don't get to see their teams warm up. And, you know, a lot of the stadiums themselves are actually kitted out in the men's clubs that they share the stadium with. So you can end up having a, you know, a Spurs game at the Hive, but actually the Hive is just 
painted in orange and black and it doesn't give you a real sense that, you know, this is Spurs ground and this is their home. So, you know, there's, there's a lot of things like that. And I think that is where the sort of professionalism of the marketing teams is, is going to, it's going in the right direction. But I think those little things that we can sort of take those lessons from the men's game um, would make a big impact. You know, you've got a lot of young girls there. You've, you do have a lot of families. I know we're sort of saying about it not being just a family orientated um, game, but you know, when you do have families there, you need things to sort of engage them and, and get them sort of riled up and ready for the game. But you know, you, you, you rarely see a lot of that. I also think, I mean, it's, it's interesting as well because from my own personal experience, having you know, have a, having a season t- ticket to a men's game and being like still really involved in men's football, working in it during the pandemic, people were absolutely gagging to get back to watch live football. And I also think a massive part of that is down to the fact that football, men's football, was on television all the goddamn day. And I, it was great at times. It was like seriously draining at times. It almost got a bit too much when it was like five games in a day. But you were always exposed to it. And then when the opportunity arose to get back to it, everyone was, you know, clawing over them, like like desperate for it, right? And I feel like the fact that that 1920 season was never finished, England played very few games. I feel like that impact is being felt now because people kind of happily forgot that women's football existed and there wasn't enough work to put in to retain the interest that was there because the interest was kind of at its peak at that point. There were big crowds at all the most of the WSL games, big crowds at England games, that get, England-Germany game at Wembley in November before the pandemic. And then suddenly women's football just disappears. Then it has a whole season without fans and then it reappears, but not much thought process into, well, if we reappear, how do we make fans come back? And I don't think the they, they're reluctant to come back because of COVID excuses is true because people are gagging to watch football. The National League set an attendance record on the weekend just gone during the men's international break. That should have been a women's football record to get. But it, I think it's just frustrating that we haven't seen that. But long term, there are reasons to be cheerful. Yeah, there are. But I was going to say one really good example Um I was at a, a women in football event at Brighton before the game, um, which great idea, by the way, to, to utilize something like that um, for an event. But um, someone there spoke about they're on the Spurs newsletter. They got the newsletter this week and there was not a single mention of the derby against Arsenal this weekend. They were pushing games in December and in January. Same with like the Manchester United website pushing a game that's happening in March when they play uh, the women play at Old Trafford. Great, but like... They've got a massive game this weekend, aren't they playing Arsenal? Just that um, little fixture. Do you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah. And that doesn't cost money, right? You're already making a newsletter. You've already got a marketing officer or whatever it is putting together a newsletter. It takes nothing to add in a piece about your women's team. Your men's team aren't playing this weekend. Massive opportunity to capitalise on that. So there are, for me, really simple things you can be doing. Tweet about it. My God, it's not that hard. Tweet about it to your millions of followers that your women's team are playing. Um, there's a lot of little things that could actually impact the, uh, improve the game and improve attendances um, but yeah let's make it positive because that ended up being a bit of we, a negative point we've given we've given lots of people a free workshop and brainstorming session so please run with that we've given you a whole bunch of ideas uh, for free so enjoy um, but there's more women's football to look forward to this weekend I think for me the standout fixture is probably Man United Arsenal I think that could be a really really interesting game Man United come off the back of conceding late goals in back-to-back games, but playing really well in those games at times. Probably need to put away more of their chances. 
Arsenal kind of wounded animals, big injury issues, might be low on confidence. What are your guys' kind of standout fixtures of the weekend? Well, we do have Conti Cup and Champions League midweek. Um, so I'm hoping to go to Crystal Palace this yes. week. Um, there's no influence at all from uh, from Chloe. No um, and hopefully uh, Champions League as well on Thursday. So they're first. And then, uh, yeah, I, I haven't picked a game of the weekend. There's a few to choose from. Yeah, again, I think I'll probably be attending the uh, the Conti Cup fixture uh, tomorrow. Um, <laughs> so just sort of making props be at my my, my appearance. Um, yeah, I mean it's going to be a big battle for for us. It's obviously against you know Reading, who are a strong side, you know an experienced WSL side. So um, yeah, it's sort of um, you know when you're going up against a squad like that, I think that you're always going to sort of come across as the bit of the underdog. So, um, but we've been on such a good run of form recently that I think there's such a positive vibe around the club at the moment. So yeah, I think it's um, it's going to be a challenge, and I'm really I'm really buzzing for it. I'll be your lucky charm because if you recall, every time I go see Reading play, you know what happens. Oh my god, yeah. If you could stand behind the goal, that'd dun, be great. Dun, dun. Their goal, obviously. <laughs> Let's see what happens tomorrow. If it does, I'm really sorry, Reading. It really isn't intentional, but, you know, Chloe fans, so love that. That's all we got time for this week. Uh, another banging episode of Upfront on Football Ramble Presents. If you've got any questions for us, tweet at Football Ramble and we'll chat to you all next week. Football Ramble Presents is a Stack Production and part of the Acast Creator Network. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com.